Today's scripture reading is from the book of Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter, the 1st to the 13th verse. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Meonites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God did not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out in you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, 25, 26, 27. We'll get back to Second Chronicles 20 really, really quick. But it's just always good to center. For me, it's really good to try to center my soul in what Jesus has to say and becoming more and more Jesus-centric, if that's possible, all the time. And there's some words that Jesus tells really around a story about wisdom, really a story about how do you live your life, how do you be a follower of Christ in a really wise way. And so he gives this really famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so you're just going like, man, there's just all these nuggets of wisdom inside of the sermon. So how do I package that? How do I get it in here and take it with me? And he tells a story right at the end of that Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, starting in verse 24, it ends in verse 27, about two people. And two people who are both trying to do um, something. He says they're both trying to build a house. Now, Jesus, I guess, spent some time as a carpenter, and he could probably give us a, a, a manual on how to build a house from the ground up. I'm sure he could do that. But that's not really his point in this story. Jesus is using the idea of building a house as a word picture for building a life. So he's saying, here are two men, two women, two people, two families who are trying to build a life. So they've got to, they, 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 they have two people, and they both end up getting confronted by a similar set of circumstances. Now, the circumstances are predicament and pressure. 
He says in verse 25, and I think it's in verse 27, that a predicament and some pressure hits both of these two people who are building a house, otherwise known as building a life. Storms hit them. Now, you know what a predicament is, right? It's you're, you're in over your head. Often it has the connotation of disasters right in front of you, but it doesn't have to be disaster. You know, it could be, you know, you've just gotten a, a horrific medical report. Your finances have taken a serious slide backwards, and now you're facing really difficult circumstances. That, that's a predicament. Predicament can also be, though, just a lot of complexity. Like, do I stay in this job, or do I take this job? Or I, I need a job, and I don't know where, the, where it's going to come from. Or do I stay here in this community? Do I move to this community? You know, it, it can just be choices as well. And so these two people who are building a life are being confronted by some predicament and some pressure. And they have really, really different outcomes. The first person who's building a, a, building a life has, Jesus says, the ears to hear the Word of God and has preset in their heart that what they hear, they will do. They will hear, and they will do. And when the predicament and the pressure comes and hits, they have already set in here that they are going to follow wherever Jesus leads. They're going to take the direction that Jesus says seriously, and they're going to do that. And it says when the predicament and pressure comes, their life isn't, isn't washed away. Instead, they continue to flourish. Their life continues to expand. They go from here to here to here. That, that's one outcome. The other person also trying to build a life, confronted by the same predicament, set of predicaments and pressure, has their life crumble. They go from here to here. Their options start to narrow. And what was the difference? One had set in their heart to listen and to do what, what God, how God led. The other person said, well... I'll listen, and if it matches what I already want to do, I'll do it. But if, if it doesn't match what I've already set in my heart to do, you know what? The way of Gene is way better than the way of Jesus. That, that's what they said in their heart, and their life crumbled. So given all of that, um, why don't you move back to, um, let's move to Second Chronicles chapter 20. I got really interested in this idea Jesus has about hearing person that hears the Word of God. What does that actually mean? So I, I want to just say the most important, the most important question you can ask when you're facing a predicament and when you're facing pressure, the most important question you can ask is, Jesus, what should I do now? The most important question you can ask when you're facing predicament and question is, what should I do next? God, what do I do now? The most, there's a set of practices that, that are associated with that hearing and that question. So it's important for your, as you in, make an intention to listen to God and hear God, it's so important that, that you have a set of practices that actually allow you to hear. There's so much distraction in the world. So I'm going to say the most important question is that you ask this question, God, what should I do? And then you match it with a set of practices that helps you hear really well. And what are the set of practices? Fasting, listening, and obeying. Fasting, listening, obeying. How come fasting? I'm not here to talk about fasting, but, I, but you're going to see it in Second Chronicles. Here's why you fast. When the hunger in your heart to know what God wants you to do matches the hunger in your body, the condition of your ears to hear has suddenly increased. 
your ability to hear what God wants you to do increases almost exponentially when the hunger in your heart matches the hunger in your body. So, so, so fasting, listening, and doing is so important when you ask this question, God, what do you want me to do? And then what's the principle? The most important principle when you're asking this most important question, doing these most important practices, most important principle is never, ever, ever underestimate what God can do when you're willing to listen and fast and then do whatever it is God says. See, it's just such a different way to live your life than how we normally live. I've got my agenda. I've got my, my ideas. I've got my practices set up. And if God blesses those, that's great. But if he's not, I'm still going to do my thing. What if you slow down? What if you back up and you just say, is my starting spot? I'm going to say, God, what is it you want me to do now? What is it you want me to do next? And I will make sure the hunger in my body and the yearning in my body matches the yearning in my heart so that my ears are ready to hear. And when I hear, I will do. And Jesus says that life will expand. That life will stand. Well, that's what exactly is happening in, to Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles. There we go. Second Chronicles chapter 20. So I want to just make sure you see some of these things. So 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, here's what we learn. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and some of the Meunites came to make war in Jehoshaphat. There's, there's predicament. There's a war about ready to come, full-fledged Jehoshaphat, whether he's ready for it or not. Now, you know, I'm pretty visual. I love having pictures to help me kind of see what and understand what it is that I'm reading. And so I kept, kept myself, I found myself wondering, well, who are these Moabites? You know, who are these Ammonites? And who are these Meunites? You know, it turns out the Moabites are like really ruthless Turns out the Ammonites are like, you know, marauders. And it turns out like the Meonites are like zombies or flesh eaters. And, you know, like they got this like perfect storm of like really tough guys that are coming against Jehoshaphat. And I was doing some research. I was going, man, it would be so great if there was like a Polaroid picture, you know, like one of those way back in the day pictures of their war council. And I was doing a little digging and, you know, all the um, archaeological studies that have been done, I I came across a picture actually of of their war council. I I wish I could have lifted it and put it here, but um, they look remarkably like the minions in Despicable Me. It just... I'm just kidding. That was a really that was a really weak joke from Auburn. So, um, um, <laughs> but seriously, it is really tough guys, and and it's a major predicament. And Jehoshaphat is a king, so predicaments come to him. Now, pressure is also coming to him. Look what it says in verse two: Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, "A vast army is coming against you." So, I don't know if you understand what's happening to this king as a leader. This is intense pressure. They're telling him because he's supposed to know what to do. They're telling him, Jehoshaphat, these guys, these minions are coming against us. They are threatening to destroy us. You better figure this out. Surely you know what to do, king. And he's going, uh, well, here's, here's why he didn't exactly know what to do. So about 60 years before Jeho- Jehoshaphat, Solomon was king of Israel. And it was a united nation, 12 states, so to speak. And they were all under the rule of one king, one capital in Jerusalem. 
you know, Solomon started out as a really good guy, but as his life progressed, he got further and further from the character of God, and, and he started to do some bad stuff to other people. And the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, 60 years before this story, were people that Solomon was building his kingdom from their ounce of flesh and their pound of money. You know, he was taking their money, big taxation, he was taking their people, men and women, as slaves and come build our kingdom, and, and they resented it, like anyone would. They didn't like it, and they couldn't do anything about it. Solomon and his army was just too strong. Well, 60 years ago, Solomon dies. The nation of Israel falls apart. It divides. Now there's a northern kingdom of 10 states with a capital up north, and there's a southern kingdom in the south, capital still in Jerusalem, but only two states. It's divided. It's not nearly as strong. Sixty years later, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, from whom have, who, whom Solomon has been using to build his kingdom, all of a sudden they're stronger. They've got more resources, and they're looking at Jerusalem, and they're going, we can get ours now. This is our time. And they band together, and they start coming. They're actually, they're like sixth cousins of the Israelite people. They're, they're cousins, really. And so in the normal time, you could have a big family reunion, break out the chicken and the potato salad and the horseshoes and the volleyball, and they'd all show up and have a great time. Not this time. They're coming to do damage. And what they're planning to do is take Jerusalem out. And, and um, Jehoshaphat hears it. He knows he's probably going to be taken out. He knows the women are probably going to be raped or killed. He knows the children are going to be taken into slavery. He knows the, the men are going to be killed. I mean, he, he's in a tough spot. It's pressure. What does he do? Well, you know, he, he could have made an alliance with the north, but come on, I mean, they've just split with each other. Like, how is he going to go now up north and say, you know what, Let, let's get our stuff back together again because we're in trouble. They're going to say, are you kidding me? There's no way. He could have made an alliance with Egypt maybe, but he doesn't have time to right there. So what does he do? He's got pressure. He's got all this stuff going on. He's in a predicament. It's, it's a lot of pressure. Well, here's what he actually does. In verse 3, alarmed, he's living, right? His heart's beating, his brains, he's got brain waves. He's alarmed like any of us would be. It's a predicament and a lot of pressure. Jehoshaphat resolves to inquire of the Lord. This most important question, what do we do now? He's going to ask the question, what do we do now? He's not resorting to what he knows. He's not resorting, well, this is what my dad always did. This is what Solomon always did. This is what I always do in these circumstances. No, he says, okay, slow down. Got this news. I'm going to actually resolve to inquire of the Lord. And so there's the question. Now, remember I said the practices are fasting, listening, and doing. So he asked the question, resolved to inquire of the Lord, verse 3, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Judah, this is a big time. We've got to figure this thing out. We've got to make sure the hunger in our heart for an answer is matched by the hunger in our body. We've got to be on our knees for as long as it takes, fasting as long as it takes, and, 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 we, and, and we'll see what God says. And interestingly, the people of Judah responded. Like, I've asked our church to fast in the past, and three people raised their hand and say, okay. And two of them wanted to lose weight. I mean, you know, it's, um, so, so, you know, I, I get it, you know. It's, um, but the entire nation actually says, okay, 
Let's seek help. I did a little study on this word seek. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but, but the connotation of it, it's to desperately yearn for an answer. I'm not, I'm not just curious. It's not just a little pastime. No, I, I need this like, like I need nothing else. It's, it's a vital need of mine. I'm yearning with everything in me. My body's engaged, I'm fasting. My heart's engaged, I'm listening. And, and we're doing it together. And so, so, so you see this, this thing happening. Pressure, predicament, a question. What do we do next? Some practices, fasting and listening. I'm just so amazed at the humility of Jehoshaphat as a leader because he's the one that says in verse 12, I don't know what to do. I got nothing. I got nothing. But our eyes are on you. I, I, I don't know what leaders you know that actually do that. When a powerful person, whether it's in the corporate world or political world or military world, when that's their bumper sticker, I got nothing. I mean, it's, it's a sure sign to get voted out of office. It's a sure sign not to win your primary. It's a sure sign not to gain trust of people. And that's exactly what he does. He doesn't try to make it more than what it seems. He says, I got nothing in this situation. We don't know what to do. But see, he's, asking, he's, t- he's saying that to the right person. He's saying it to living God. And then he's saying it to everyone else. It's uh, incredible humility. So you ask the question with that kind of humility, you get your body engaged with fasting, get your heart engaged and you listen, and you do it with some others, you get ready for an answer, right? Because then here's the last part of the practice, do what you're told. So here's here's their solution. Verse 14, so um, you can see in verse 13 actually, the, the listening part says, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. I know from experience when I've been in a group setting and I've said, you know, I'm not exactly sure what to do. It can easily be taken as a power, a vacuum, and someone can easily step in and say, well, pastor, if you don't know what to do, here's what we should do. And, and so, but I just am so intrigued with the fact that no one does that. They just stand there. They're, you know, maybe they were dancing Maybe they were singing, maybe they were totally silent, I don't know. But they stood there in this posture of fasting and listening. And because they did that, they found out what they were to do. Look in verse 14. Spirit of the Lord came upon a someone, Jehaziel. You know, it's, it's not a designated leader. It's not someone, the, the, the part, chief of the council. It's not someone who's on a designated board. You know, the Spirit of the Lord came to this person as they all stood there. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. You've got a big predicament. You're under a lot of pressure. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Now, if he would have stopped right there, we would have all rolled our eyes and said, oh yeah, right. Like, do you know what I'm facing? Do you know what that medical report's like? Do you know what it's like to get to the end of the month and not have enough money? Oh yes, that was great advice. Great empathy, right? Don't be afraid. But he actually says, no, don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. The battle is God's. If you're ready to listen, and then you said in your heart, we will do whatever we're given, then that statement applied then and it applies now. The battle is not yours. The battle is God's. And then he says, and here's how we do this. 
And I love this next part. I'm sure you saw this last week. I love this. He says, this guy who's speaking says, those, those girls that were dancing up there, they're to lead, they're to, they're to be the ones to go out first. And all of you guys with guns and swords and shields, you bring up the back. So, so we're going to bring the praise and we're going to bring the worship first. I, I'm, I'm cynical enough. I think I've been with those guys with the guns before, and, and I think when they got that news, there was like this collective, whew, dodged the big one right here. But, but it's so important. It's so counterintuitive. What would I do? I'd say, let's get, let's get our biggest guns out in front. Like, we're going to make this big impression. And instead, they send the singers. They send the dancers. And it's so counterintuitive. And what happens in verse 20? They did it. You fast, you listen, and you do. Verse 20 was the doing. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Josephat stood and said, listen, here's what we've agreed to, so let's, let's, let's actually do this. We're going to have faith. The battle isn't ours. The battle is God's. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat pointed these people to sing to the Lord and, and praise Him, and they went out. And um, it, turns out, it turns out that the Moabites and the Ammonites discovered they didn't really like the Meonites after all, and they decided to fight them. And then all the Meonites get taken out, and then the Moabites and Ammonites are looking at each other going, oh, we don't like you too much either. And they destroyed themselves, and the people of Israel didn't have to do anything except stand there, watch, and sing. Like, like that's the deal, right? That's the deal. I, I, you don't have to raise your hand in this, but... but I'm sure some of you got some predicament you're, you're holding right now. I'm sure you got some pressure that you're holding right now. Medical, financial, you got a kid that doesn't want to talk to you, you got a spouse that's giving you bad news, and stuff, just stuff. And it's really easy in those moments to resort back to, well, this is what I always do in these circumstances. It's really easy in those circumstances to say, hey, this is what my culture always does. This is what I'm going to do. really easy in those circumstances to say, this is what my dad always did. This is what I'm going to do. And instead, I want to encourage you when you're facing a predicament and, and, and a lot of pressure, maybe the first step is to back up from how you've always done, thing, done things and say, I'm actually going to just simply stand here and look like I'm doing nothing. But the thing that I'm doing while I look like I'm doing nothing is the most important thing I can do. It's in my heart, I'm on my knees, my body's engaged, I'm hungry, and it's a good hunger, and I'm willing to actually do whatever I get from living God. So it's all good, right? It's all good. Good way to live your life. It's a wise way. Jesus says, one person that did this, life Life stood the predicaments and the pressures, continued to expand. Person that chose to do differently, life collapsed. Great way to live your life. It's a great way to do church. I just, if I can just have a couple more minutes, I'd love for you to see Acts chapter. So I never get that in our church. No one ever says, take your time. Um, my church, they say, come on, man, come on, come on, come on. So Acts chapter 13, same thing going on. Great way to do church. And I want to actually say, this maybe is your moment in Acts chapter 13. So here's what happened in Acts 13. The church story is being told of the church in Antioch. And the church in Antioch is in Syria, current day Syria. And in chapter 11, you can see the power of God is broken out in Antioch. And there's like a thousand people who are now in that city, followers of Jesus Christ. 
and a church is gathered and it's doing great. This is the first place in the history of the world where the followers of Jesus are known as Christians. Christian not as a religion, but Christian meaning little Jesus as little Christ. You know, follower, they, they live in such an appealing manner like Christ did that people say, oh, we didn't ever get to hear Jesus, didn't ever get to see him, but I think in this woman right here, I'm seeing Jesus. They were called Christians in Antioch. It's a great thing. It's a really healthy church. They're doing a great thing. But I want you to see, here's, here's what they do. In the church at Antioch, chapter 13, verse 1, there were some prophets and teachers named Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius, Manian and Saul. And I think this is what's going on. While they, were, while they were worshiping the Lord, listening to the Lord, conditioning their heart to listen to God, they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. Their bodies are engaged. Their, the, the hunger in their heart to hear from God matches, is being matched by the hunger in their body. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands in them and set them off. Can I say how easy it is? I know this from being a pastor. I know how easy it is when things start to go well. How easy it is, first of all, to lose your hunger, and how easy it is to take over the work of God. It's incredibly easy to quit doing the things when things are going well that you did that got you to that point before things were going well. When things weren't going well, when you were having your Jehoshaphat moments, you know, you, you, you fasted and you prayed, you listened, you gathered everyone, and then things started going well. Your life started to expand, the church started to expand. It's so easy in that moment to take things back over again. I just want you to see in Acts, things are going incredibly well. The church has expanded. It's been in places it's never been. And I think they're doing exactly what we saw in Second Chronicles. They're asking a critical question. Okay, God, you're breaking out here in our midst. Like it's really taking off here. What do we do next? This is master planning. This is what do we do next year. This is the master plan that's getting worked out. And I know how churches do master planning. They get their smartest people, they get their richest people, they get their most powerful people, and they get them in a room and say, why don't you come up with a master plan for us? And maybe it makes sense. But what if we did it like this? What if the church, not a few people, not the powerful, not the beautiful, but what if everyone said we so desperately need what to do this coming year, next year, and the year after that, that we're going to spend some time fasting and listening and conditioning our heart to hear the leading of God. And when we get it, we will do it. And we won't do anything until we get that. What a way to do church. I, I, think, this is all, I think that's what's happening. They've got a predicament. I sometimes would love to have this predicament. Things are going well. They've got resources. They don't have any like observable problems. Things are, God's breaking out in their church. And they have the wisdom not to try to capitalize on for themselves, not to try to muscle up, not to try to overthink it. They actually just say, let's keep doing week in and week out what we were doing from the beginning. Let's listen. Let's condition our bodies to match the hunger in our heart. If our hearts aren't hungry, Maybe the hunger in our bodies will remind us that our hearts need to be hungry. Let's do those things. Let's listen. 
And when we get clarity on one thing or two things or three things, let's do it. I, I don't know what all your issues are going forward. I just know that God's breaking out in your midst. I know you have a pastor and his wife whom God's breaking out in their hearts. And I can see it in you all. And God's breaking out in your midst. And I know it'd be incredibly easy right now to try to um, take advantage of that. It'd be really easy right now to try to say, okay, so we've got this handled now, God. Thank you for this, and now we're ready to go. I just want to say, you should just keep this as your practice going forward. When you, whether you're this size the rest of your life, whether you're 20 times this size the rest of your life, whether you're less than this size the rest of your life, whether you have more money than you can imagine the rest of your life, whether you have less money than you need the rest of your life, can I just simply say, I think this is the way that we're to, to operate as a church. And it's such a different way. There's an old saying that I love, I, I think of it often. Um, it says that the, this movement of the Spirit of God began in Palestine as a movement, this kind of thing we're talking about, just listening to God and then, then following. It began as a movement in Palestine. It got exported to Greece, became a philosophy. It got exported to Rome and became a political system. Got ex- exported to um, Europe and became like a culture, a way of life. And then it got exported to the United States. And you know what happened, the saying says, when it got exported to the United States? It became big business. I get that. Big business. Can I just simply say, don't go the way of being big business. Just go the way of being on your heart, on your knees, fasting and listening. God, here or here, this facility forever, this facility, this neighborhood, that neighborhood, this mission, that mission, whatever it is, let God lead you. When God leads you, then it doesn't matter the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Meonites, or whatever other kind of ites that are coming at you. When God's leading you, you are going to be the church of Jesus. So, um, so that's, that's really all I wanted to share with you this morning. I just, I'd love to join you in that. I will do it from afar, from Auburn, actually just agreeing to fast and pray with you. I hope that somewhere in the middle of that, but I'm in danger of Gene Maynarding what it is that I've just been talking about. Going, man, I love Mark and Gail so much that I want to be in a relationship with them and with you all. Maybe that isn't what God wants. I can't imagine that. I sure hope not. But, but it has to actually be what God wants, not, not what I want or what, what you all want or whatever. And if you don't want to be in a relationship with me, if God still wants it, it's going to happen, guys. So, <laughs> so but, but can I just simply say, this changes history. This changes everything. This will change the history of your church. It'll change the history of your life. But it, it changes big things. So, like in 1756, in England, this little island nation, they got news that over in France, they were, France was planning to invade England. And, you know, it was right before the Revolutionary War here, England was trying to conquer the world, and they had their military everywhere. And they get news that France is watching and said, ah, they don't have enough soldiers at home, let's take over now. And they get their, their invasion arm, um, armada ready and all those things, 1756. And John Wesley, who's uh, a preacher in England at the time, hears about it like everyone else. Paris is planning war. England could be taken out. And he asked the entire nation, 
I don't know how they did this before email and, you know, internet and everything, but the news got around. They said, let's fast and pray. And there was this moment in the history of England where the churches were packed with people in their Jehoshaphat moment knowing that the Moabites and the Ammonites and Meonites are coming against them. And people prayed and fasted. Some did it quietly, some did it noisily, but they were all doing the same thing. And actually what happened, as France was trying to sail across that little tiny channel, the wind went against them and they couldn't get any traction with their ships and it all came to nothing. It was just a big nothing finally at the end of the day. This changes history and it will change the history of this church. It will change the history of this world. I, um, my, my wife and I, just kind of as a, I guess a close on this, um, my wife and I had a chance this summer to just get away for a bit and and we decided for kind of an extended time to walk across the, the country of Spain. And my wife's looking at me going, you're crazy. And I said, I know, we are crazy. And we got our right boots and all those things, and, we, and we, we actually succeeded. But one of the things I was so worried about is, like, I can get lost so easily. I'm, I, I'm as a guy, I'm willing to admit that. Any other guy, ladies, you married to someone that gets lost easily? Like, Probably shouldn't say that here because we don't want to have marriage counseling going on. But, but I get lost super easily. I get lost super easily. And um, even, with, even with Google Maps, I still get lost. So I was actually nervous about getting us from here to here and feeling some of that pressure like my wife's trusting me with this. Well, we were doing fine during the day on the trails, but we get into the cities and I started to do my thing. I started getting lost. But, you know, it's at the end of walking 15 or 20 miles a day, and we're pretty tired. We've been carrying weight, and, and I knew we had a reservation somewhere, but I couldn't figure out how to get there. And it was just like consecutive, consecutive, consecutive days. And I knew my wife was starting to dread getting into the cities because it meant that we were going to wander for a couple more hours till we found our place. So we get to this one day in particular. It had been so hot, and we were so exhausted, and we were so tired, and we get to the city, and we're walking in, and Lori looked at me, and she said, so do you know where we're staying? And I said, yeah, it's, and I pulled it out. I said, it, here's the name of it. I know, of course I know where we're staying. And she said, but do you know how to get there? And I said, well, I think we turn here. And she said, no, I think we need to go here. We had our first little moment, you know, and, and I powered up, and I said, no, we need to go here. Trust me. <laughs> and so we went here, and I don't know what happened, but we got like in some labyrinth in this crazy city, and we couldn't get our way out of it. And she finally sat down in the square. She said, I can't get anywhere. I mean, I'm so tired. I don't know what to do. And so I said, okay, well, I found this park bench, and I'm feeling really bad by this time. And I said, here's a bench. Just sit here. Take your backpack off. I'll go find it. I can do this. And so I said, I think it's right over here. So I went around behind this. It was an old cathedral. And I thought, surely it's got to be close to a cathedral, right? So I went around behind the cathedral, and it's not there. And I'm going, oh. And I'm thinking, I, I got to, and I don't know why I hadn't done this sooner. All the things I'm talking to you about. <laughs> and I leaned up against the corner of this old cathedral, and I just, I, I, I don't know why I hadn't done this before, but I, uh, that day I said, God, I said, it would be awesome if someone would come out of this apartment house. I was just looking across the street. It would be awesome if someone would come out of the apartment that could speak English well enough to tell me where to get to. And I'm sitting there against that cathedral praying those words, 
the exhaustion in my body, I wasn't fasting, but the exhaustion in my body was matching the hunger in my heart, right? So, so I'm leaning against that, saying those words, and I start to reach down to pick up my backpack, and I take about three steps, and of course you're gonna know what happened, right? The door from the apartment across the street opens, and a woman walks out, and in the, I, just because I had prayed, I was actually ready to ask her, I may not have done that in the past, but I, I had asked, been praying that, and she walks out, she's looking towards me, and I walked up to her and I said in English, because I couldn't speak the dialect very well, I just said, so can you tell me where to go? And she said in perfect English, she said, of course, I've come out here to help you. And I'm going, <laughs> what? The next day, we go into a little smaller town, and as we're walking in, now I'm starting to manipulate, right? Now I'm saying, God, it would be great if you could. <laughs> but you know what happened, actually? We were walking into this town, and you know, it's like a, about a half mile walk in, and I see a woman come out of her house. She looks like she's coming to your potluck. She's got a covered dish. And I'm watching her come, and she comes to a corner. We're getting to this corner about the same way. She starts to turn, and then she comes back, and she says, oh, by the way, I've been sent here to help you. And I'm going, what? And I'm just telling you guys, not as a get-rich scheme, not as a way to manipulate God to do something for you, but those little tiny moments just told me, whether it's little or huge, when you're willing to quit acting and doing your life for Christ as if you are the answer, but when you're willing to let him be the answer and you're willing to condition your heart so that you have the humility to say, God, we don't know what to do. I don't know how to find this place. I don't know what the outcome is here medically. I don't know where the finances are coming from, but my eyes are on you and that's all I need to know right now. I'm gonna say most of the time, in the time that you need it, the solution's gonna come. And in those times the solution doesn't come, Actually, living God knew exactly what you needed. And it's just to stay on your knees and to keep asking and to keep saying, God, what is it you'd like me to do? I'm going to fast. I'm going to listen. And when I know, I'm going to do it. That simple.